Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. Our broadcast today comes from our most recent Meta Strategy Digital Symposium, and the topic of this panel was strategic automation across the enterprise. The panelists who joined me were Amy Brady, Chief Information Officer of KeyBank, and Ryan Keane, Chief Information Officer of Total Quality Logistics. I hope you enjoy. Automation is the use of technology to perform tasks where human input is minimized. And strategic automation is something that continues to be a, a critical element for tech and digital leaders to undertake. A lot of the low-hanging fruit has already been taken care of over the years. As a, Again, this is something that you might argue has been from day one the role of a, of a CIO, CTO, CDO, uh, but what constitutes strategic automation now? And why does it continue to be a fundamental ingredient to innovation across industries? We have two executives, both from the great state of Ohio, Amy Brady, the chief information officer of KeyBank, and Ryan Keene, the chief information officer of Total Quality Logistics, who will join me now to, to tackle this topic with us. And I'm so pleased to welcome uh, Amy and Ryan to the, to, uh, to the symposium. Uh, great to see you both. Peter, thanks for having us. You you always do such an amazing job of convening incredible leaders from cross industry. It's it's really impressive. Oh, that's very very kind of you to say, Amy. Thank you so much. Present company very much included. Well, um, let's begin with you, Amy. Amy is the CIO of KeyBank, as I mentioned, uh, a major bank based in Cleveland that earns in excess of $7 billion in annual revenue. She's been in her role for more than a decade, and her purview includes shared services for technology, operations, data servicing, cyber, and physical security, as well as procurement. She's also on the boards of a variety of institutions, including DuPont and the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland. And Amy, I know this is a topic that's near and dear to your heart, an area of great emphasis for you and your team. KeyBank's been thinking about and experimenting with automation for quite some time. How is the rapid rise of generative artificial intelligence impacting the company's thinking around automation or impacted the organization's automation strategy more generally speaking? Yeah, sure. And thank you. And I, I loved what you said at the beginning that you have to have a strategy, right? Um, it is interesting as, and I'm sure my peers would say the same thing as chat GPT grew so quickly in relevance and prominence. There were lots of people saying, we have to use it. We have to use it. And I'm like, okay, what are we using it for? And what do you want to use? Let's Let's not just talk chat GPT, let's talk about generative AI, let's talk about all the automation suite of tools that we have available to us and what problems are we trying to tackle? So we've been doing, we've had an automation journey happening here at Key for well over five years now. And it absolutely started as an efficiency opportunity, right? And then moved to what, when COVID hit, more to a reality of you have to have more automation in your processes because people weren't able to come to the office or your clients weren't able to get to their offices. So the digital journeys became that much more important and layering the, these tools into your processes really made you more efficient and effective, right? And, and accessible. For us, I think generative AI adds more, again, more tools to the tool chest. Although I would say for, for our industry in a very controlled way. When it comes to generative AI and some of the tools available to us, I would say we're more in the experimentation mode and the control mode. Now, one example of that is we are partnering with Google right now to really take a look at our internal procedures that we have. And we've got, being a bank, we've got hundreds and thousands of them. And how do we ingest those in a way that we could then have our own internal assist agent really learn those tools, learn those processes, learn the procedures to be able to make our employees more efficient and effective without having to go out and bring in lots of extra data sources that maybe 
may not be sources of truth. And when you mix that into a financial services environment, may not be useful. So we're trying to learn how to use the tools in a way that can deliver effectiveness and back to efficiency because we're in that kind of cycle right now. But but I think there's lots of potential. But long-winded way of saying that I think it all has to be connected to your strategy and what you're trying to prioritize. And then we can talk about the talent impact later because I'm I'm keen to hear what Ryan has to say about their journey as well. Well, one more question for you, though, Amy, if I may, and I think your answer already underscores the extent to which uh, this this is a broad topic that is not just an efficiency play. It continues to be a profound aspect of of why this is the case, but but it also is a a revenue generator. It's a value creator on both sides of the profit equation. And, And I think it's exciting, frankly, emblematic of how CIOs themselves have become contributors to both sides, whereas historically, I'm talking a decade and more more back, the, the average CIO would be focused much more on the efficiency side. And, and this now extends to a greater extent to customer experience as well. And I wonder, you know, what do you see as some of the biggest opportunities for automation to drive value in the end-to-end digital customer experience? Yeah, I mean, for us, it really starts with what is the customer wanting to do and how do they want to interact with their financial institution? And I think, you know, if you were to start eight years ago or even 10 years ago, it was all about the consumer. And it still is. The consumer is still the driver of the digital experience because we all carry around one of these and we have whatever our best experience is, we expect it from your provider. And so we expect it from a financial institution. So we're constantly trying to say, what is the consumer doing and how do we make that experience better? On the consumer side, what I would say is that we've spent a lot of focus at key connecting this digital property to our contact center. Because if someone does get into a situation where they need a little bit of extra help, where our where our automated agent cannot help them, or our app, they cannot find the answer, we want to intelligently route them to a contact center agent and for that agent to meet the client where they are and be able to pick up on the conversation without having to re-authenticate, without having to re-explain why you're calling or, you know, which is such a nuisance to, to all of us, right? We all hate that. So So connecting those journeys and experiences, I think, is really important. So connecting the automation to the human, if the automation can't fulfill the full human experience, and then obviously to the back end. And then what's happened over the past three years is on the commercial side, the demands have really accelerated. And I do attribute a lot of that to COVID, where commercial clients in the past used digital properties, but maybe not as much as consumer, and they would still call their relationship manager. Now they are, they have that same expectation. And, and quite frankly, we've got, it's more complex to build those interactions and authentications and connection to a servicing if you have to get to a live person, but it's more powerful from a revenue perspective because you're obviously able to deliver more that those clients could do in a self-service way. So lots of opportunity there for us to continue to expand the the offerings, and then again, pull all the way through to your end-to-end processes. Yeah, really interesting. And I like that comprehensive view you, you you think about of how this is one of a variety of ways to interact with customers naturally and making sure that those complement each other effectively as well. Ryan, let me bring you into to the conversation. 
Ryan is the CIO of Total Quality Logistics, TQL, the second largest freight brokerage firm in North America that earns nearly $9 billion in, in, dollars in annual revenue. Uh, TQL has 56 offices in 26 states. Uh, Ryan is based in the Cincinnati headquarters of the, the company and has been with it for two years. Ryan, I know actually this is a really fascinating topic in terms of your application of the ideas. And you, you've been a deep thinker relative to automation and where the, the relationship between that and process. And I want to ask you a question that that uh, I've, I've heard you respond to in some really interesting ways before, and that is, should automations be a long-term solution for a process? What, what do you say? Yeah, I think it, it depends. It's a great question, Peter, and it, it definitely is one that we struggle with with virtually every idea that comes about. But like Amy said, it's all about you know what is your strategic intent, right? What is the business problem you're trying to solve with it? And so for us, there's kind of two buckets. There's the short-term bucket that we say, we need an automation to carry us through for the next 12 to 18 months. We know that's going to address the business need we have today, but in parallel to that, maybe there is a different solution being developed. Maybe a process is being reworked and over time, it's going to you know, drive that, that automation to obsolescence. So for example, you know, at any one time, we may have you know, 60, 75 different automations that we have in development or in production or you know, some stage within there, but actually what is driving value and is live at one time, likely under 50. So we may run something up, we may run it for a little while, we're working on something in parallel and we turn that down. We redeploy those resources and the next thing that we know is going to meet the customer or associate where they need. So that's the short-term side. And then you're gonna have this long-term strategic view of you know, this, the process itself, we understand the value chain. And we're going to decompose that value chain into small pieces. And when we look at that, we say, well, this is really crafted. This part right here is a great use case for automation in the long term. As an example for that, it would be in our, in our area for logistics, we need to track every load that's on the road that we have something to do with. So whether it's on the road, in the air, on the ocean, on rail, we need to know where that is. And so having that visibility you know, there's multiple ways of doing that, but driving automation to this long-term business need is a great fit for that. So really for us, it's each, you know, each uh, use case that pops up, we kind of go through this decision matrix of long-term, short-term. And then, you know, for the long-term things as well, and Amy kind of hit on this as, as when you look about, you know, driving more intelligent enterprise and some of the tech that as we go forward, we're also looking for in terms of our new solutions that we're building and modernizing, we're looking for where does it make sense to build automation or AI directly into this new experience as being a long-term component. Um, so taking the opportunities that we have because you know the market's changing fast, technology is advancing so fast. And so I think a lot of us, you know, myself and, and the peer group, we're at a really fun time right now because we get to take advantage of all of this and deliver these new experiences that quite honestly, I don't think our, our customers or our you know partners had ever thought imaginable, you know, three to five years ago. Yeah, very interesting. And I'd like to ask you a bit about the the people implications here. How would you advise fellow chief information officers to structure their teams to build an automation competency? Yeah, for us, you know, that that definitely is there are a couple of different ways you look at that. One is you could have everybody doing their own thing, very decentralized. And whether you call that citizen development or you call it chaos, it, it could be a number of different things and how that comes about. The way that we've structured ours is we have built a center of excellence and we have around a dozen people as part of that. And that's a mix. It's mixed between process and automation engineers. We have product management as part of that. 
And we have folks that are in our business units that collaborate very closely. And then, of course, we have partner help throughout that process. That team, as new ideas come in, they come in through the funnel. And there is a determination to say, does this have an enterprise value? And we'll go through and we'll understand what's the benchmark. You know, what are we building off of? What's the, is it tangible and tangible and build that business case? And for those things that we say, yeah, this is going to be reusable across the enterprise, have that value for us, our center of excellence will develop that. We do have situations where we push that out back into a line of business. And we do have citizen development, but it, I would say it's citizen development with, with good governance. And so while we do have a central location, that can quickly become the bottleneck and really hinder the organization from realizing all the benefits and opportunities that are out there. So we have a number of our lines of business that will do their own RPA development, uh, bot development, and then our center of excellence will review that work. They'll govern that work and then help them move that work into production in a way that it's monitored. We have a learning set up. We have operations set up on the backside of that. So it's in a responsible manner and kind of distribute that out. So, you know, that, the people side and building that structure and that team, I think is critically important because if it does go sideways, the whole idea of automations within the organization can take on a very negative moniker very quickly. Thinking through that upfront, I think is very important. Yeah. Amy, I'd love to, to have you comment in a comparable way. A few years ago, you launched an RPA center of excellence to test new technologies. You have what you refer to as your future ready program to help prepare talent, you focus on the team for, for careers of the future. Uh, and with a few years under your belt with these programs, I'm wondering what insights you've drawn from this and uh, so, some of what you might advise your peers as a result of that. You know, it's interesting, Ryan, and I think that we've taken a very similar approach, right? So we too still have a, a COE or center of excellence for our automation tool, but I would agree with you 3000% that it has to be to really execute and get the value of it. Those technology experts of the various tools that you might use or deploy have to be paired with subject matter experts from the function or business along with process engineers. Because the worst thing we can do, and we talk about this all the time, is automate a bad process and just make it faster. <laughs> so, so that's not great. So I think the, the secret sauce there is making sure um, that you have that cross-functional team. And I would add now, if you're really gonna go into some of these generative AI tools that you need analytics as a part of that cross-functional team, the data's gotta be there to really help drive the real value of some of those tools. So we've, we've maintained that center. We try to take in ideas from all over the enterprise, but I also agree with Ryan's notion of short-term and long-term. I don't think we knew when we started how many of these bots or automation solutions would you would actually sunset. And at first I thought, oh my gosh, we're doing something wrong, but it's actually okay to, to put something out there and then have it it may run its course, its life, you know, it's its uh, natural little life and it may be a shorter term, but deliver the value that you need and then get replaced ultimately by something else that could be, it could be re-engineered out of the process altogether. So I think that is part that we've learned over time. So we constantly are redeploying those technologies and, and the people. When it comes to talent, I, I am proud of our, our Tech Ready program. And we've had a, a hundred teammates go through that program. And for those who aren't as familiar, we, we saw an opportunity to retrain or, or open up technology training to people that maybe were working in contact center or back office operations or entry-level roles. 
who really actually got to know the processes at the company and aspired to do something different and maybe more with their career. And we put them through our Tech Ready program and we've had 100% retention of those teammates over the years. And they're being, some of them have turned into automators. Some of them are running some of our systems or deploying technologies and coding on some of our systems. So they've gone from entry-level roles, maybe making $20 an hour to salaried entry jobs at $70,000, $75,000 a year. And so it's life-changing for them and it's it's wonderful for us. What we've also evolved now is adding low-code, no-code to that suite of some of our tech-ready teammates because Again, that should be something that's accessible for them, especially if they know the processes we're trying to design or the workflows we're trying to design. So we keep bringing more tools into the tool chest, if you will, and making those those available. The last thing I would say, though, however, is that the governance that I think Ryan talked about, I think that's incredibly important because I think people think about these things and forget that, boy, when you change a process, if you don't have good governance, you're going to break that automation and you may not even know it. So you have to have the monitoring, just like every other system, you have to have the monitoring and the governance to make sure that these things continue to perform or you, the backlash is, is not going to be a positive one. Yeah, but very, very interesting. Thank you for a broader explanation, especially uh, I, I'm so encouraged about the continued progress of the Future Ready program at a yeah. time where a lot of folks have, have difficulty finding great talented people to add to the team, finding people that are already there who maybe may have aspirations to grow their careers in different ways, uh, providing them that, them that opportunity is such a wonderful way to keep the some of the best and most ambition, it, ambitious. It is. And I would say in all of our companies, you have these people who know your processes, who given the education to become an engineer and that knowledge of the process, I mean, they get up to speed so much faster. So if you can put them into a, an automation center of excellence, it's it's quite powerful. Yeah, very interesting. Can you talk, you alluded to this, but I want to double click on the communications point of it as well. What advice would you share on communicating the impacts of automation to your teams and bringing them along for that journey as well? I know for some, you know, it may take some broader explanation as to the why, as well as the potential value to derive. Can you Can you share a bit about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. I, I think that when when a hype curve a few years ago around all this was coming, and it is again now with generative AI, I guess, ChatGPT, there's this hype again around, oh my gosh, this is going to take over all of humanity and no one's going to have a job. And I think those of us who have been doing this a long time realize with every new technology phase and every new invention, yes, it can reform and reshape roles. Absolutely. But it also creates new roles. I mean, five years ago, we didn't have an automator role, and now we do. I think that the the some of the generative AI tools, along with analytics, are going to create new roles that we haven't even thought about. So I do think one of the things that we have a responsibility to do, both within technology or if you, in my case, I run other functions, or if you're working with your business partners, is to really have that understanding of the impact so you can communicate the value to the employee, because they will embrace it a heck of a lot more and not be threatened by it. And once they start to see the value and they start to realize that the tasks that they don't have to do allow them to have much better workloads and balances and intriguing work, they buy in. I'll give you a real-time example. In our contact center, when we introduced MyKey, which is our automated intelligent agent, you know, the contact center agents were all like, oh my gosh, this is going to do away with our jobs. Yes, we have been able to reduce the number of agents we need because our call volume has gone down because the automated agent is taking those calls. However, what we've been able to do for our agents has made their jobs easier 
we're now running from a voluntary turnover perspective about 15, 16% in our contact centers this year. That is unheard of. And I think it's in part because we've made their jobs easier. And so they're not threatened by that anymore. Like give that my key some more things so that they can have the more valuable conversations with our clients. That's great. Thank you for that, that, that advice and those anecdotes as well. Ryan, what have you found to be some of the best practices to report the value derived from automation? Yeah, I mean, similar to Amy's comments, so much of it gets back into what is that business value that you're trying to achieve, tangible or intangible? Yeah, if you look at just from a business perspective to start with, and then let's do from an associate perspective and, and some of that communication, the potential fear that might be coming with that. From the business perspective, it, it's really understanding if you have a tangible outcome that you're trying to achieve, how are you measuring it? What's the cadence, right? Do you have a good benchmark? And for the intangible, a lot of it gets into, okay, where do the, where did the hours go, right? What, what are you able to do that you weren't able to do before that doesn't necessarily translate to something directly to maybe a personnel line or something like that? And oftentimes that is taking on new additional value-driven work, right? So helping the customer have this differentiating experience that they couldn't otherwise do. And I think that's super powerful. And this kind of shifts over into that, that personnel side of it and what it means for our associates. When we think through the value drivers, it gets into this whole notion of having collaborative automation. So how do we have our great associates working side by side with the automation? So the automation, it's very similar to a factory line. In a factory, you, if you think about an auto manufacturer, they'll have a robot that's putting a door on a car. There's a person right there, right, to do, do assist in doing that work. They're collaborating together. And for us, it's very much the same thing. What that allows our associate to do is now Instead of doing that mundane work over and over and over, let the automation do that. Maybe the associate is there to help in terms of exceptions, but they're also able to take on greater value opportunities to you know, create value to the customer, but also from a career projection, you know, that, that greater value leads to new responsibilities, leads to new experiences for them to help them continue to grow as well. So you're know, trying to shift that from not a, the automation is coming, we should all be afraid to the automation is coming. How can I use this to deliver a great experience? And then how do I use it to develop myself? Yeah, great insights from both of you on the need to be very open, transparent, constant flow of communication so that there's a clear understanding as to why why the uh, automation is, is coming as well as the value anticipated. I wanted to ask you, Amy, about sources of insight. You're a very well-connected technology executive in Cleveland and Ohio, but much more broadly than that. And I wonder how you think about leveraging your ecosystem, whether that's partners, peers, for insights about automation. Are there any any advice or any insights as in terms of how you do that? I don't I don't know that I'm awesome at it, but I, but I would say I learn from everyone. I learn from all of my peers, especially cross industry. I mean, within the industry, I think we have a great collaboration of CIOs and I, and I value that. And I think the more you put in, the more you get out like in anything, but I think cross industry, you can learn so much. You think, well, what could I learn from PQL or what could I learn from Home Depot? I could learn a ton. And there are so many things that we're all dealing with that are similar. And yet, if you just listen to someone else's approach, I, I just, I feel like you always get a little bit of a tidbit of, of insights I think it's very hard in our roles to maintain that balance. And I think we can get so, I know I'll speak for myself, I can get so insularly focused on day-to-day -day what's happening here at Key, what's happening in my industry. And I think it's really important that we all lift ourselves up 
lift our heads up and look out at what's going on. And there'll be other things that you watch, you go, oh my gosh, you learn from their failures too, which is terrific. The other thing I would say is we try to give our people that time. So as part of Future Ready that you mentioned, that program that we do broadly across my organization, we give our teammates 10 hours a quarter to invest in learning. And we actually block time on their calendar every Wednesday so that no one can schedule meetings across my organization during that time because I want them learning. And because the people closest to the processes or the technology, they're the ones that have the really good ideas. They're not my ideas, right? Their ideas. And so if I can inspire and empower them to bring that outside in thinking to their work, again, it helps them not be as threatened by the next thing because they know they can empower themselves to learn the next skill they might need, but they also might bring an idea that generates the next automation we do or the next next technology solution we deploy. And then it, it just is a really much more powerful ecosystem to work in and also to create that engagement. That's a great way to frame that, Amy. I really, really like that. And, and the, the level of engagement as ideas can come from anywhere, inspiration can come from anyone across the team. And so yeah, carving off that time so people have time to think and contemplate. What an interesting idea. Ryan, I noted you're, you've joined CI Automation Councils and engage with your peer group to a large extent as well, presumably also for inspiration and idea sharing. Can you talk a bit about your own collaborations from that perspective, please? Yeah, you know, 100% uh, very similar to what Amy says. You kind of tied into the day-to-day, so you have to be very intentional of getting out there and making those connections and then having an agenda, right? So you want to make sure you're making it valuable for yourself, but, you know, probably more important is make it valuable for somebody else because ultimately that's how you grow the network. You know, through, you know, my peer group, I've been able to understand what are greater, you know, what are better use cases? How do we work through the operational side of automation? Now I'm taking, you know, notes here as, as Amy's talking, I'm writing things down, you know, that I would love to, to reach out when we're done because I'm learning from her as we go through this today. So really trying to understand that it isn't necessarily what you see in your day-to-day. It's, you know, when you talk to your peer group, it's what, what are their experiences? And you're looking for familiarity. Mm-hmm. Right? It's there's so many things you're like, you know, that's kind of like my problem. It's a little different, but how can I apply that to this? And I just find the more of those conversations you have across different industries, the stronger your team becomes because they start to kind of lift themselves up. They're becoming that little bit more of a strategic thinker, right? And not looking at the tactical day to day. This is my job. I need to do this right now. And then on to the next thing. It's I want to step back. I want to understand what are the big opportunities that we have we're seeing across multiple industries. Now, how does that apply to what we're doing here to create this different experience? Very, very well said. I wanted to ask each of you, as you look to the future, what excites you in terms of applying automation for new opportunities, both from an efficiency as well as from a growth perspective? Ryan, maybe beginning with you, what has you excited about future automations that you and the team are working on? Yeah, for us, we're very fortunate. We operate in an industry that continues to grow. You know, unfortunately, we, we went through a really challenging time as a world a few years ago, which brought a tremendous amount of supply chain unrest. That supply chain unrest you know, provides opportunities for the logistics or companies to think about things differently. How do we try to help companies work through supply chain challenges in a new and better way. Think about like the port backups that we saw every single day. We were all impacted by that. For us, that was talking to our customers and saying, how can we help? And when we looked at that, we said, there's an opportunity there to help them with what's called drayage. And drayage is taking a container off a ship and it's moving it onto a truck or rail and getting it out of the port and, and off to somewhere else. And because we had this, how do we 
use technology, how do we use new processes, how do we use automation, we were able to meet our customers in a place where we never thought we'd have that opportunity before and you know, continue to grow our business very healthy through that time period. And so when we look to the future, it's really how do we take those learnings of having that deeper conversation with our customer and then marrying it with probably the most exciting time in technology in my career and being able to come up with something novel, new, that provides value to all parties within that value chain so everybody wins. And I think that's it's entirely achievable. I think the companies that aren't doing that, they're going to fall behind. So there is a forcing function in the environment working in right now to really think through that future state. A great call to action there, Ryan, as well. Amy, how about you? As, as you look to the future, what are some things you would highlight? Yeah, so I, I think Brian said something really important there. I think this is a time where as CIOs, tech leaders, we can be aspirational and really get people engaged in kind of, hey, there is an opportunity to have real impact. So for us, I think about client, right? So how do we continue to make it easier for our clients to interact with us, easier for our clients to have their digital interactions in a way that connect them and then ultimately connect to the human when they want the human. There's still that human collaboration that you've heard us both talk about. At the same time, I think it, there's this exciting opportunity to make it easier for our employees, whether they be the employees that are working in the front and the field, or whether it's the employees that are working in our fraud center, which is just never ending and so hard and really a critical moment of truth for our clients, or whether it's our employees working like in our cyber defense centers that have to look at so many things. How do we continue to bring automation to them to make them smarter, faster, and make their jobs even better? So it's kind of like, how do we use automation to enhance the client experience, absolutely make it easier for our employees, and at the same time, protect the entire ecosystem that all of us have to work to protect every day? And unfortunately, that job's not getting any easier either when you think about cyber across all of our organizations. And then in my case, fraud. The fraudsters like these moments of technology change. Fantastic. Well, Ryan, Amy, thank you both so much for, for joining us on this, this very important topic and for enlightening us with the great innovations you both are driving with your teams through creative automation, underscoring the necessity to, to think of this as a critical element for a profitable growth. It's been a really great conversation. Thank you both. Thank you, thank Peter. You, Peter. Appreciate it.